Good morning, everyone. Today we'll be speaking on uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I just have a quick, quick question for everyone to think about as a starter for this message. Um, take a moment to reflect on these questions. The questions are, who are you? Or who are you? And what is your purpose? Who are you? And what is your purpose? To get us to really think about this, um, and if you feel comfortable, um, just take a take a brief um, uh, think about it and answer it in a brief one sentence response. And if you feel comfortable about it, you can type it into the chat. So there's a bottom right hand corner. There's a chat with everyone box, and just type type your response um, into the chat. Who are you and what is your purpose? At real brief, uh, just a quick response if you feel comfortable. Otherwise, um, just share with, I uh, see a couple people are sitting next to each other, so you can share with each other. Who are you and what is your response? How do you respond to this? Or how do, and what is your purpose? How would you respond to these questions? I can see that some of us are, you know, trying to give an answer and that's good. Short answer, that's great. Um, just hold your answer your response um, to you right now, and um, we'll continue. So, for us, you know, this question of identity and purpose um, can be very powerful markers um, because they provide us with meaning to life and um, kind of a reason to live. Right? They can be really powerful, especially in times of um, difficulty and hardship in life. As for today's verses, I want us to take a moment um, for, the, for the duration of this message to imagine that uh, we are part, that we, uh, this small group here, are a part of a second century church, a second century church in a small but diverse town near Ephesus. So that's in modern-day Turkey. We all live in this small town that's near Ephesus, and we are part of a small Christian church there. We are a group of Gentile, that means not Jewish, believers who heard the gospel from a traveling missionary, and, you know, for different reasons, we heard from this travel traveling missionary, maybe from someone someone in the family, and we decided to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, living with us in our small town are many who do not believe in Jesus Christ, and some of them follow Greek and Roman gods such as Artemis. Um, uh, this god was worshipped by many in Ephesus, and that influence has uh, crept its way and embedded itself into our town. So many of them uh, worship uh, Artemis and other gods. Some of us were once worshippers of such gods too. Also living amongst us are some Jews, of which a small handful worship Jesus as the Messiah. So in our town we have Gentiles and Jews, um, worshippers of different gods, as well as um, Jewish and Gentile worshippers of Jesus. And as we think about this diversity, we're 
especially thinking about the Jews who worship Jesus, we're not quite sure how to worship with them because they seem so different from us. Their culture is different. Um, the way they worship Jesus is different. Even, you know, what they think about Jesus is a little bit different from us. And for us living in the small town, the only guide to Christian life we have is this letter, this um, letter, if, uh, letter to uh, to the Ephesians. The other letters that would be known to later Christians are unknown to us. If we only had this letter to guide us, what would our Christian worldview and life look like? And how might these words today, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, speak to our experiences of the past and our, and our ideas for the future? In other words, how might these words guide us in our understanding of Christianity and our, our lives as Christians? For one, these words today would give us a very clear view of God's salvation because they present a clear and animated description of salvation. The overwhelming message is that God has a plan for all people to, re to be redeemed and to come unto sonship alongside Christ. There's a, within this passage, there's a clear contrast of what life was like prior and after faith in Christ. They're very explicit and very striking. So we see that we move from dead in transgressions and sins to alive in Christ. We move from this world to the heavenly realms. We move from following sinful nature to union with Christ. We move from wrath to mercy and salvation and from by works to by grace. For many of us, or for all of us here, the invitation was well-received. Um, and also for those uh, some others in the town too, they received it and they accepted it. And upon receiving it and accepting it, uh, we were granted membership into a very special group. And that group is the people of God. Here in this, in this uh, small passage, um, there, uh, the, the author, Paul, has a very interesting use of the pronouns, you and we. I have it um, colored here for us, highlighted here for us, so it's very easy to see that we see the you um, in red and the we uh, in the blue. The you that Paul writes of are us, the Gentiles. So when he says, as for you, he's speaking to us the Gentiles, the, the ones in the, in, the, in the small town. We, the, small gen the Gentiles in the small town, live in an evil age ruled by sin and disobedience against God. The symptoms of which uh, can be seen through people who do not worship God and therefore have distorted relationships with each other that are characterized by um, power over each other, hatred for each other, and greed, among others. Notice that in, verses, in verse 3, Paul switches from you to us, right? He goes from you to us. 
And in the us, he includes um, not only the Gentiles, but also the Jews. What this means is that all of humanity is in this same predicament, this problem of sin, this problem of guilt. Whereas we, the Gentiles, are guilty of idolatry, the Jews are guilty of not living up to the covenant as the people of God. So the state of humanity, all of humanity, is that we are all under the power of sin and death, and therefore we all need God's mercy and salvation. As Gentiles living in a small town, this is quite powerful because we did not understand too much about the Jews, and we only understand we we only understood the problem of sin from our perspective. So here, Paul, when he differentiates the Jews and the Gentiles, it's very important because it functions as uh, it has two important functions. The first function is that it highlights. Christ's power in bringing these two different groups together as one worshiping community, right? So he connects both the Jews and the Gentiles together as having, as both being under the wrath of sin and both needing God's mercy and salvation and puts them together into one community. So Previously, we thought of divisions such as power, gender, economic status, um, Jew-Gentile. We thought of these as maybe problems that would prevent us from worshiping together. But that's no longer true. Um, it's decisively ended in Christ. This sense of unity, um, which we have lived with in the, in the community, in the small town, um, it's not only... Um, been a powerful change for many of us within the church community, but it's also been a source of attraction for other people outside the community. They look inside the church and they see, wow, um, we have this diverse group of people who are trying to figure out unity and trying to figure out how to live with that unity. And that's appealing to them. Allow me um for a moment to draw an example from a modern day experience. Um, as many of you know that, as many of you know, um, I um, I have spent some time worshiping in a Chinese church. I recall a very vividly one night that as we were, um, as our fellowship was um, just studying the Bible, um, we had we saw a, a older man um, in his late 40s. Uh, this man was very disheveled. Um, his clothes were quite dirty, and he was a very rugged man. Um, his hands were uh, very obviously used a lot, a um, lot of scarring on his hands as well as his body. And for us, um, for many of us, we we didn't really understand this man because the fellowship was comprised mostly of young students. So um, young men and women in their late 
late teens, early 20s, some in the mid-20s. And it was at night. So this man appeared kind of, you know, from the darkness, he appeared into the room that we were sitting. He asked us what we were doing. And we responded. He said, oh, I heard great things about this church. And I came here to um, visit you and see uh, what this is all about. What really surprised me that night was that without even thinking about it, without talking amongst each other about it, the group decided just unanimously, suddenly, to receive this man and to accept him and to talk with him, to, um, to listen to him. It was, um, we later found out that he was actually a, um, a man who was, who left his uh, hometown, a small city, a small, a rural city, and had come to the major city to uh, find work as a laborer. And there are many such people in um, major cities in China. Laborers are typically not received very well in various communities because of their difference, because of their socioeconomic status. But that night, I saw that this group of Christians, because of, um, because of our, our understanding of unity, our understanding of acceptance, we received um, the man as a human being loved by God. That was a really powerful um, experience for me. Now let us return to our second century town. <clears throat> I mentioned earlier that um, Paul differentiates the Gentiles and Jews um, with at least two functions. One was to highlight Christ's power in bringing two, two different groups together uh, as one worshiping community. The other um, purpose we see The other purpose we see here is here we can see in verses um, 5 and then in 8 later here, there's another instance of differentiating the Gentiles with the Jews, the you and the us, the you being the Gentiles, us being actually being both Jews and Gentiles, but the Gentiles are highlighted again. Why is this highlighted again here? This is because Paul wants to assure that we, though we are Gentiles, we have been saved too. To, to us to see the Jews who believed in, in Christ, um, that wasn't too surprising because um, they were always known to be a people of Yahweh. So to see them participate in God's kingdom through Christ, not too surprising for, for, for us to see that. But to hear that we Gentiles are now part of God's salvation and also citizens of God's kingdom, that is amazing. That is very special. That is unexpected. For us who understood salvation, it wasn't seen as a ticket to heaven, but rather as entering into a new kingdom 
as its citizens. So had it been the ticket analogy, we would think of it as maybe um, we have this ticket now and we just need to wait for the ship to take us across um, the seas. We just hold this ticket and wait for the day that the ship embarks and brings us along to a new land. There's a sense of waiting and not having to do anything. But citizenship is a very different concept because it not only comes with hopes and promises of a new life, but it also comes with responsibilities. Citizenship is something permanent and requires a deep paradigmatic change in how we understand ourselves in relationship to the community as well as to God. I know some of us um, are familiar or have experienced a change in citizenship. Um, I experienced uh, a change in citizenship um, when I was a lot younger, so I don't really remember it too much. But every now and then I'll see um, messages from people who have received new citizenship. It's always a very exciting moment. It's, um, it's almost like a pivot in their lives that something has changed so much and that they, 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 they're going to they're going to go into the future with a completely different mindset. It's almost as if they change uh, a person. We don't really see um, a ticket in such uh, in in a similar way. In verse eight, Paul highlights that uh, stress, or sorry, uh, that salvation is through grace, not works. I know that when we hear works, we always get a little bit um, nervous um, because we're so familiar with, you know, um, the Reformation and um, talks about how uh, we can't earn ourselves to salvation. And that's absolutely true. Why would Paul here talk about us Gentiles, you, right, Gentiles, and then talk about um, this being not from ourselves. Why would he highlight that specifically? He, he highlights that because in our lives, as second century um, Gentiles living in the town, we always understood um, we understood deeds to be good actions done to earn merit before the gods. So we had to do good things to earn the pleasure of the gods. Now, to hear that salvation did not need to be earned and could simply be received by faith was not only new, but also deflated our sense of pride whenever we did something good. So we have to, so as we think about this, we have to make a, kind of like a change in our mind about, oh, it's not about me doing good things to please the gods, but rather that I have received this good thing from God. We now know that it is not our good deeds that earn us God's mercy, but rather that God's mercy transforms us into people with a new and special purpose. What is that purpose? What is that special purpose? As we move into the final verse, we see what that purpose is. As the final verse states, we now function alongside our Jewish brethren, right? This is we, including all of us. 
we function alongside our Jewish, Jewish brethren as God's agents of goodness in the world. So we, alongside our Jewish brethren, are no longer strangers, but playing for the same team. In our small town, we are the Gentiles. We see the Jewish worshiping Christ. We are on the same team. So in this sense, salvation is not for works. Oh, sorry, salvation is not by works, but for works. So let me repeat that again. Salvation is not by works, but for works. All believers are God's handiwork. And the term here used, handiwork, is quite interesting because it points towards a, like a creative accomplishment. Like um, for some of us who have um, studied musical instruments, right, and have practiced a lot, you, you know, you practice a piece over and over and over again. You finally get to perform the piece, and it's, it's such a great accomplishment. That word suggests like an artistic accomplishment. We are God's accomplishment, masterpiece. And God's love for us is so great that he not only forgives us of transgressions against him and other people, but also gives us the gift of salvation and declares that we are his master, his masterpiece created for good works. Again, salvation is not by good works, but for good works. For us, good works might entail many things, some of which can be found in the remainder of this letter. Right? We assume that we only have this letter to guide us in our Christian life. For those of us living in this small town, it would challenge us in many ways to live in unity with all believers, both Jew Gentile and Jew. To live a life of humility, gentleness, and love. To be at peace with one another. To become mature in Christ by knowing him more and more throughout our lives, to make that a path, to put off sins such as greed and speaking lies and destructive words, to forgive each other and to be compassionate, to submit to each other in marriage and to respect each other in the family and to be kind and generous in our prayers as Diana has graciously done for us before. These, these can all be found in the letter to the Ephesians. We don't have to go outside of Ephesians to find this. So this is what we know as second century Gentiles who live in that small town. These are quite challenging as you can imagine because life is hard and to walk in this particular way with all these different um, goals is very challenging. So to be citizens in this new kingdom, we have a new ruler, Christ, new laws, some of which have been mentioned earlier, and the obligation to promote the good of the kingdom. These rules or these obligations and some of the above things we have heard 
are considered universal to all believers. At the same time, good works is not just universal, but also specific to our own lives and even different phases of our own life. Take a moment to discern what good works God might be calling for you to do. You don't have to think about like a whole laundry list, maybe just one or two at most. Just, whoa, what has, what has God? Now that I know that I am a masterpiece of God and he has created me for good works, what is one good work that God has called me to do in this specific season of my life? In closing, I want us to return to the um, question that I asked at the very beginning, right? Who are you and what is your purpose? Based on today's verse, um, and we can return to the present now. Um, we're no longer um, members of that small church in second century um, near Ephesus town, right? But we are back to today. Who are you and what is your purpose? Earlier, um, you some of you were sharing um, the answer to this or your response to these questions. Based on today's reading, we can say that um, who are you or who are we? We are a people marked by a past of disobedience and distorted relationships with God and people. We have received God's abundant mercy, and we now belong to the people of God. We are now citizens of God's kingdom, created as God's masterpieces and saved for good works. This, this answer response, or this, this is a response to both the questions, right? Who are we and what is our purpose? Or who are you and what is your purpose? Think about how um, you responded earlier. It might be a little bit different, right? I don't think many of us would have responded, oh, uh, I am, you know, <laughs> I am God's masterpiece and um, my purpose is for good works. Not many of us would have responded that way. Um, notice how your response and this one um, um, provoked by this passage today might be a little, little bit different. And I think that's okay. I don't think um, I don't think we're here to you know give um, Bible answers to these questions. I think we have to give realistic answers, right? Real answers um, that really reflect who we are. I think that's okay to be different, but it's also important to recognize that um, we have multiple layers to identity and purpose, and multiple layers is both expected and healthy. The question is. Or the important thing to do is to know how these layers, uh, how the layers fit into our identity and purpose as Christians. Know how the responses we gave at the at the front at the beginning of the message, how they fit into this kind of this Christian identity. 
and also to know that this Christian identity is very important because it is also another marker of of significant value and can be a strong resource for when we feel lost or feel discouraged. It's always good to remind ourselves that we are God's masterpieces. He created us out of love and he saved us out of love. And he created us with a purpose for many, many good works. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your mercy. So kind that even though we disobeyed you and we did not know you, that you still chose to be kind to us and to forgive us, to pay such a heavy price for that forgiveness. But also not just to save us, but to give our lives a renewed purpose, a new citizenship, new responsibilities, and new hopes. We pray, Lord, that as a community, a diverse community, that, Lord, that we would be able to respond to those good works that you have put in each of us. Lord, guide us, guide our community to do good works, guide each of us in our mission to fulfill those good works, and give us strength when we uh, face difficulties, when we are down, be with us. We thank you, Lord, and we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.